Okay, last week, uh, I heard from a bunch of you, by the way. Last week, I kind of got in your face a little bit on uh, sin. And, uh, you know, I wear three hats when I come up here, one of three hats. Most of the time, about 90% of the time, I'm an educator, teacher. So I give you information about the scriptures so that you can understand it. But that often leads you into a lull, a false sense of, you know, security, if you will. So last Sunday, beginning of Lent, I kind of got in your face. So I was more of a preacher than a teacher because I wanted you to feel uneasy. Uh, I really wanted you to wrestle with how serious sin is. It's not a game. It's simply not. Um, and I've brought up several times, I brought it up last week, when Jesus said that you... Lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery, you get angry, you've already committed murder. Is that a joke? And then Paul adds on to it that um, neither adulterers or murderers will inherit the kingdom of God. Is that just editorial? Tease, if you will? No, I tried to get across. That's how serious sin is. It, uh, and we should never, ever take it lightly. But the third uh, hat that I get to wear from time to time when I pull out my stool is I get to be a pastor. So today I want to swing the pendulum to the other end from the destructiveness. We're still going to talk about that to what does that mean? What does it look like for us? So I titled this sermon, The Corruption of the Soul. A lot of theologians refer to it as the disintegration of the spirit, the coming apart of the spirit, if you will. We're going to talk about that and why that's important, but it's very important to understand this. You see, sin or corruption destroys what holds us together. It destroys what is good for us. You think about things like hospitality, justice, um, delight, all the things that God made us for, sin destroys it. It does. Sin is right here all the time. We see it all the time in our world out here. We're used to it there, but it's very prevalent right here as well. You know, um, uh, I remember maybe my second year here, um, walking up here and looking out, and by then I'd had many, many coffees with a lot of you, and I knew about your struggles with sin because uh, you're very honest. By the way, thank you for the trust that you give me over coffee to talk about your struggles. But I remember walking up here, and I remember looking out, and it was the first time I felt like I had a backpack uh, full of 100 pounds of rocks because I knew so much about you. And I, and I stopped, and I, I really started asking the question while I was here, why do you come to church? Why? Uh, I pondered that question long enough that people started going, <clears throat> we're paying you to give us a sermon. You know how it goes. And uh, it, was a real, it was a real conundrum for me coming out of the academic world to sit here and to face my congregation and to know so much about your brokenness. It took me a while. I talked to the elders at that time. We wrestled that through. And I decided the, the reason that you come, most of you, is because uh, you believe there's something better. It's called hope. You actually believe there's something better. Is what we're saying true or not? 
Um, you see, hope for a Christian is our reality. It's not a possibility. It's not a probability. It's a reality. If anyone is in Christ, they are part of the new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. The problem is we're trying to learn how to live with that because we don't know what it's like not to have a sin nature. We don't know what it's like not to live in a fallen world. We don't know what that's like. And yet Paul's very clear right now, we, if you're a Christian, you're seated at the right hand of God. Uh, this is an illusion, what we see. We live in two worlds. This is an illusion out here. Oh, I mean, the, king, you know, the, the cre- creation and all that's real, but the stresses that we feel, the pressures that we feel uh, are not really part of our world. They're really not. And so one of the things we have to talk about today is where does it come from? Where does it come from? Once I realized, once I crossed that threshold in my second year, then uh, ever since that time, I have been compelled to deliver on that expectation. Elders and the staff feel the same. That we want you to come because we offer an authentic hope that's very genuine and very real. So the Lord started at that time. I finally gave up trying to convince him not to do it. Uh, every Sunday, about 4 o'clock, somewhere between 2 and 4, he wakes me up. And I wake up thinking about you. Happens every Sunday. Can't stop it. Happened this morning. And I just, I plead with God on your behalf. I pray for you. I was pleading with God for quite a while this morning that uh, what I have to say would lure you, would draw you, invite you into a deeper relationship, an authentic relationship. We went last night, um, Nancy and I and our friends, we went to see the movie of Jesus Revolution right over here at the theater. If you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to go. I cried the whole movie because that was my story. When they got to the scene of the of a hippies doing drugs, I immediately remembered that. And uh, <coughs> it took me three years to uh, come to Christ because it was too good to be true. And if it's too good to be true, then it's not real. And I was a skeptic. I was told by a counselor 12 years ago, I'm the biggest skeptic he's ever met. And I was skeptical. It's too good to be true. And, uh, but I had um, a girlfriend who believed in Christ, and her father was very patient with me and walked that road and helped me to answer those questions. And uh, that movie just brought back so many, so many memories of the darkness, the coldness, the hostility, the hopelessness of drugs and and it was hard to watch it. For those of you that are my age or older, it's part of our history as a nation. For those of you that are younger, you get to learn something about what we did, uh, how God intervened in our culture during the Vietnam War, things that you wouldn't have heard about. And so I sat there and watched that, and I remember the hopelessness and not sure what to do and wrestling with God. So I've joked with you about when I became a Christian, I only had two requirements. One of them is, you better be real. 
And that came after three years of, this is too good to be true. You better be real, or I'm going to be very angry. And uh, I'm since then, 46 years later this year, um, am convinced that he is. For those of you that are wrestling with this, wrestling with Christ, it's just an invitation to listen. You know, the process of your faith becoming real is not fast. Not for me, it wasn't. It was a long and road, long, arduous road of really wrestling through drugs and all that to, to get there. And that movie last night just kind of unlocked a lot of those memories. So I'd encourage you to go see it if you haven't seen it. So I call this a corruption of the soul because sin begins to destroy relationships. Don't be deceived. The smallest white lie begins this process of polluting or corrupting the soul. And I'll tell you what I mean by that in just a minute. Um, You have to decide what type of person you're going to be. I can't decide for anybody else but me. And it's a daily wrestling. Um, One of the men that I look up to, one of my heroes, John Walford, president of Dallas Seminary for 50 years, I got a chance to hear his last, one of his last um, chapels. The place was packed. Every overflow room was packed. And uh, he was in his 90s. And the students had to help uh, I mean, the faculty had to help him walk up. It was a very short chapel. Uh, he had already influenced me um, to pray this way, but he sat down and he said, when I got up this morning and I sat on the side of the bed, and that was a feat at my age, he said, I, I prayed like I pray every day, which I do now. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for another day of life. Help me to bring honor to your name. And please let it be my last. He said, I see all of you students, and this is a dream of 75 years ago, and it's been realized, but my friends are with the Lord, and I'm lonely. So I told the elders, I pray that, with the exception of the, and let it be my last part. (laughs) Not quite ready for that. But every morning I get up, I pray that way. Um, And on Sundays, I wake up a whole lot earlier and pray about you. You see, sin begins to divide. That's what it does. It divides. It divides relationships. It divides purposes, goals. It divides. It separates you from the Lord and with each other. It is a disintegration of the Spirit. It's a separation or a coming apart of the Spirit. We think we know what's best. We really do. And we don't. We don't know. All we know, all we know is a sin nature and a fallen world and a life filled with woundedness and brokenness. And every one of you have it. That's all we know. We think we know what's best, but we don't know. Which is why I'm such a serious student of these stories in here. Because these stories reflect thousands of years of a true God who cares about us, who demonstrates his tender mercies toward us all the time. You know, Judas's big mistake <clears throat> was not betraying Christ. That wasn't it. Peter did that too. His big mistake was ending life. 
because Jesus goes on and chases Peter down and reconciles him, forgives him, loves him. You see, this is a safe place right here. It's called a sanctuary. It's called a sanctuary because you can walk in here and you can enjoy life just for a little bit. No condemnation, no judgment, no shame. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter. This is a safe place right here. I said a couple weeks ago that, uh, that we are actually inclusive. Don't believe the world. Uh, now, God is exclusive. He has his own um, requirements for eternity, but we are inclusive. Anybody can walk through that door, and I can't wait to meet them. Many of you are used to that. Some of you visitors today experience that. I walk around during worship, don't I? Christmas Eve, sometimes I'm walking around all the places saying hello to everybody, and a couple of times I even forget that we're starting, uh, just enjoying loving people. This is an inclusive sanctuary. People can come and find rest. You know, Rob and I, we spend a lot of time as pastors thinking through um, the experience, the culture that we're trying to build. You know, when you walk in these doors, uh, we don't know much about you this week. Some of you we do because we talk to you, but we don't know if you just found out you have cancer. I told, you know, you guys know about Jerry Dezina. Uh, he asked me if I could go to coffee one day, and we cried for a half hour before he told me what was going on. He just found out he got the bad news, very aggressive cancer. I don't know that if you figured that out. I don't know if your marriage is struggling. I don't know if you just got a promotion at work, a raise. I don't know if you just had a healthy grandchild or a child, you just lost a baby. I don't know those things. And so the, what we think of is when you walk in here, this is going to be a safe place, safe. Um, and our goal is to soften your heart so that what we have to say is meaningful and significant so that when you walk out of here, you're at rest. Shalom. Love, joy. What's the third one? Peace. Shalom. That's what God created us for. We were created for a certain experience in life. And that's captured by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, thankfulness, self-control. That's who God is. That's what we were created for. That is the heart and soul of the Christian message. That really is it. And what sin does it disintegrates you. It pulls you apart and destroys you so that you cannot experience those things. It's just not possible. Some of you struggle with great anxiety. It's not a criticism. It's part of a fallen world. It just means you're a little bit too far away from Jesus. That's what it means. Okay? Some of you fall, struggle with discouragement and worry and stress and loads that you're carrying. Some of you are struggle with the, with the long-term effects of sin. You know, uh, I've tried to go back and apologize to the people 45 years ago that I hurt, the ones that I could find. And you know what, 45 years later, they still cry. I just found a friend from 45 years ago yesterday and uh, we've already been texting, and I have already apologized to him. And so the effects of sin go on and on and on. 
And we don't recognize how destructive it is because you know why? It's fun. Let's be honest. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. Okay? Sin, by definition, is exciting. It's fun. But what does the scripture say? Sweet in the mouth, sour in the stomach. It doesn't take very long before the sin becomes unbearable, weighty. It loads you down. It creates so much anxiety and stress. So when I come here every morning on Sunday morning, I I just love, love looking in your eyes and doing my very best to help you wrestle with truth so that you can make sense of it. So we think we know what's best, but we really don't. We really don't. This is why this space is so important. This is why your elders, staff, pastors are so important because we've devoted a portion of our lives to helping you understand what is right, what is good, you know? And having sat across the coffee table for many of you and hearing things like, I'm sleeping with another woman, will you help me? I'm looking at pornography, I'm so tired. Will you help me? I think that's the most common thing I've heard in 10 years. After the thousands of coffees, I'm tired. I'm tired. Would you help me? You see, that's what sin does. It robs you of joy and therefore life. And so we start reaching, as Ecclesiastes says, chasing after the wind, looking for something to satisfy the woundedness, the tiredness, and the exhaustion, and we can't find it. How many times have I heard, I don't even know. I'm tired, will you help me? You see, we think that we know, but we don't. And so we chase after the wrong things. And uh, the answer is so close. Paul says, you don't have to cross the ocean to get to it. You don't have to go to the depths of the sea to get to it. You don't have to go to the sky to get to it. It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. There's a passage in Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. This word for pure or clean, okay, uh, it's... It's a Greek word from which we get the word catharsis. Some of you may remember from the Greek tragedies and Greek philosophies the concept of catharsis. That was the concept of cleansing the soul of pollution, of corruption. And so the way they did it was to uh, just at, at somebody dying, for example, they would wail really loudly. In fact, they hired professional wailers to help you with that. We have examples of that in Scripture. And the corruption, the corruption in the soul would be released through this cathartic uh, wailing, if you will. But you know what? That's not true. That's not what solves the corruption of the soul. The corruption of the soul is found in a very, very famous passage. It's a very simple one. First John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 8 and 10 are the same. 9 is in the middle. He bookmarks it to make sure you understand. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. 
Don't be fooled. Okay? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is every one of us. We think we have it figured out and we don't. And then here it is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous and forgive us our sins and purify or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's that word that we get cathartic from right there. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. He wants us to understand that we're all there. Every one of us is human. Every one of us still has a sin nature. Every one of us still lives in a fallen world and we all sin. We sin regularly, regularly. When you look at uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, if you back up a couple of verses um, and it talks about the lust of the flesh, the first one is sexual immorality. Yep, that's a desire. I'm going to be honest with you. I get it. It's real. It's very real. The lust of the flesh. You know what the second one is? Impurity. In Greek, they do the same thing that we do in English. When they have a word and they want to create the opposite, they put an A in front of it. I've gained something. I am against something. So they do that in Greek. So this is the word for catharsis, but with an A in front of it. And that translates into impurity. Here's what that means. You naturally are wired to build up in this spirit impurities. It's just a little white lie. It's just a little white lie. It was just a lust once. It's okay. No, it's not okay. That's what I tried to get across last week by getting in your faces. No, it's not okay. The simplest lie puts pollution in there. And over time, when you do it, you begin to lose track of reality and you begin to experience stress, worry, doubt, frustration, anxiety, all of that, that comes from a polluted soul where you just have one little lie after another. Okay? That's where that comes from. That's why I've said, if you are struggling with anxiety and wrestling with, you know, your struggle with something, it's not meant to criticize you. It just means you're a little bit too far away from the Lord, and now we can say, you got a little bit too much yuck in here. That's what it means. Okay? And believe it or not, coming here on Sunday doesn't take care of that yuck. It helps. Singing songs are designed to, the music portion of our worship is designed to soften your spirit. The time in the Word is a time to, it's designed to engage your thinking and get the clutter out of the way. Right? And then we end our time with celebration through generosity. You get to give if you choose to. Uh, you get to work on your own perspective of generosity by giving. And then we celebrate communion where we reflect on God's generation by sending his son for us. And so the Sunday morning is designed to help you enjoy Christianity and rest in a safe place. But it doesn't solve the corruption problem. According to 1 John 1, 9, that comes through confession. And so 
one of the things that's really hard for Christians is to develop a life of confession. At nighttime when I go to sleep, I love the feeling at the last minute of the day of stretching out. I just love that. The older I get, the more I enjoy it. And uh, you know what the last thing I say is? God, thank you for another day. And I'm sorry for what I, the lust that I did today, the anger, whatever it is. I'm just sorry for that. Thanks for forgiving me. I'll see you again in the morning. And um, what I want to do is I want to do something that uh, we've never done before, not since I've been here. You ever, do you feel tired, some of you? I hear that. I hear it every week. I'm so tired. You're struggling with weariness, discouraged, overwhelmed, struggling with things in the past that if we could live life over again, all of us would say we wouldn't have done X, whatever that is, because now we know the destructiveness of it. So I want this to be a safe place, a safe place where you can say to Jesus, uh, forgive me. It's as simple as that. That's what cleans the soul. Jesus, forgive me. So I want all of you to stand up. Okay, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a minute, but first, what I want you to do is just put your hands like this, a posture of receiving grace, because that's what the cross is all about. The cross is about grace. It's the most wonderful gift in the world, apart from uh, equal to the fruit of the Spirit. Grace comes from the cross, but don't mistake grace for joy. Joy comes from walking with the Spirit, which is also stopping regularly and saying, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. So I just want you to close your eyes, okay? And then if you want to, I'm going to invite you to come down and kneel as I ask these questions. Just kneel right here and just say, Jesus, forgive me. If you don't feel comfortable coming down, kneel at your seat. So are you overwhelmed with anxiety? The world's just getting to you. The stresses are high. Jesus, forgive me. It's that simple. Are you tired, weary from life? The struggles of marriage, every marriage has them. Struggles with raising children. Stresses of life, they just tire us out, don't they? And just come kneel down and say, Jesus, forgive me. You're struggling in a relationship. Maybe your marriage is one of those down cycles where you wonder if you're going to make it. Jesus, forgive me. You see, Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not. It's against Satan. No other human is your enemy, as much as it feels like it. Jesus, forgive me. Are you weary from the load? When I saw the movie last night and I saw the drug scene, I just remember the barely take it anymore and a good man who said you don't have to carry the load anymore and he had me kneel down and just say Jesus I don't even know you 
but I'm going to trust you. That was when my faith finally became real. Maybe you're struggling with the past or present sin. We all do. That's nothing unusual. Maybe you hurt somebody years in the past. Maybe you hurt somebody recently. Jesus, forgive me. Maybe your health is failing. It's going to happen to us all. Paul said, my body is growing weaker every day when my mind is being renewed. Maybe you just got the word that you have something physical going on. Cancer. Some kind of sickness. I get it. I've been there. Jesus, forgive me for doubting you. Maybe you're struggling with your faith. You're not sure who this Jesus is. I get it. It took me three years. I'm a skeptic. I didn't believe it. It took me three years before the weight was heavy enough that I just finally said, Jesus, forgive me. that they're beyond your ability to carry. That's what I do know. Like I started, it's an honor that you trust me and others to tell us the truth because you don't have to carry it alone. This is a safe place. I don't care what you're struggling with. I just love it that you're here. Jesus, forgive me. It's really that simple. Thank you for sending us your son. Thank you for being mysterious to us so it requires faith. Thank you for lifting the load because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Father, forgive us for trying to carry it ourselves and for feeling the weight and not turning to you. Forgive us for that, Lord. We're grateful. In your son's name, our high priest, Jesus, we say thank you. Amen.